Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, October 21st. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. The pandemic taking a larger global toll, the coronavirus surging in a majority of states across the U.S. as a group of volunteers in Britain offered to contract COVID-19 for purposes of speeding up a vaccine. A report by the New York Times revealing much more than previously known about President Trump's dealings in China, including a secret bank account in that country, all while the president tries to convince Pennsylvania voters to give him another term in office. And a shocking new report says the United States government cannot locate the parents of 545 children who were intentionally separated from their families along the border. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with a heartbreaking story centered on immigration. Lawyers appointed by a federal judge to identify migrant families who were separated by the Trump administration say they have yet to track down the parents of 545 children. That uh, That's about two-thirds of parents who were deported to Central America without their children. That's according to a filing Tuesday from the American Civil Liberties Union, the Justice Department and the ACLU you are leading the effort to locate the parents with the organization pointing out that some of the children were babies when they were taken away from their families. The Trump administration instituted a zero tolerance policy in 2018 that separated migrant children and parents at the U.S. southern border. And another major bombshell story to report. President Trump's tax records show he has pursued expansive business projects in China for years and even maintains a Chinese bank account. The New York Times reported those items on Tuesday, disclosures that deal a blow to the president's efforts to paint Democratic nominee Joe Biden as a presidential candidate who is soft on China. An analysis of Trump's tax records by the Times shows that the president holds a previously unreported bank account in China that was not included on his public financial disclosures because it is under a corporate name. The president's tax records show he has invested at least $192,000 in five companies established to pursue projects in China over multiple years. That's according to The Times. And meanwhile, with election just 13 days away, President Trump is keeping a busy schedule in a swing state blitz. Meanwhile, former Vice President Joe Biden is off the campaign trail and is at home in Delaware ahead of tomorrow night's debate. Andrea Linares has the latest. President Trump in the battlegrounds of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, you got to get out and vote. You know, if we win Pennsylvania, we win the whole thing. Trump again downplaying the pandemic even as coronavirus infections rise across the country. We're rounding the turn on the pandemic. It's ending. Normal life. That's all we want. But Donald Trump took no responsibility, failed and continues to fail to do that. He's still downplaying it, lying about it, denying how we have a big problem. In 2016, Trump won Pennsylvania by less than 1% and would need to win that state again. Trump telling the crowd in Erie he wasn't expecting to make a stop there at all this year. You know, before the plague came in, I had it made. I wasn't coming to Erie. I, I mean, I have to be honest, there's no way I was coming. I didn't have to. 
First Lady Melania Trump was supposed to travel with the president, but she was forced to cancel the trip, citing a lingering cough after contracting the coronavirus. Meanwhile, Democratic rival and former VP Joe Biden's most recent rally was on Sunday in North Carolina. Since then, he's been prepping for Thursday's final debates with President Trump in Tennessee. But his running mate, Kamala Harris, was just campaigning in the battlegrounds of Wisconsin, calling on supporters to vote early. Some people are trying to suggest that your vote won't matter. No, they, what they understand is that when you vote, you have power. And his most powerful surrogate of all, former President Obama, tweeting out a video with an urgent message for young voters. This coming as Obama prepares to rally support for Biden in Philadelphia today. Times as polarized as these, your vote doesn't just matter. It matters more than ever before. Joe Biden needs your vote. I know Joe better than almost anybody. I trust him to be a great president. And in terms of cash flow, right now, President Trump's reelection campaign went into October with $63 million in cash reserves, according to new filings. However, Biden has nearly three times that amount, $177 million. Many polls show former Vice President Joe Biden ahead of President Trump. However, a lot can change between now and Election Day. It's also worth noting that Hillary Clinton was also ahead in the polls in 2016, but still lost the election. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And meanwhile, more than 33 million votes have already been cast during this presidential election. That's 72% of all early votes cast in 2016. And there's still two weeks still to go before the final votes are cast on Election Day. Joining us now is Jadira Sanchez. She's the co-executive director of Poder Latinx, a nonprofit organization mobilizing the young Latino vote. Thanks for being here, Jadira. Talk to us about how Poder Latinx has been reaching out to potential voters during this pandemic. Thank you for having me here today. This year, our vote is so important because the pandemic has devastated our community. We have been drastically hit economically and health-wise. It's now more than ever, for, it's very important for our community to come out and vote. And Poder Latinx has been working nonstop um, with a group on the ground to get our community informed, engaged, and powered up to vote this upcoming election. We have a robust phone banking and text banking across three states, Arizona, Georgia, and Florida. And we also have a very uh, robust digital uh, digital campaign. Votar es Poder is our digital campaign we launched in September, and it, it encompassed multiple layers. A partnership with Somos Arte developed a webcomic. We've also done a digital art gallery used, uh, partnering up with 15 Latinx artists who are empowered and dedicated to motivate our community. And just last week, we launched a music video in partnership with Las Cafeteras. All of it could be found on our page, PoderLatinx.org. We're using this artistic angle to reach our community, to visualize them, empower them, and provide them the tools to get out, find their polling locations, and vote early. And Yadira, let's talk about Florida. It's a crucial state for both Trump and Biden. Talk to us about Poder Latinx's efforts there. Yes, Poder Latinx is in central Florida. And since the pandemic hit, we have made over 1.3 million calls and sent 1.5 million text messages. Our community is 
culturally speaking to the community there, which are Puerto Ricans, and they will play a very crucial and pivotal role in this upcoming election because Florida will be a state that could determine who is our next president. Yadira, what are the issues driving young Latinos to the polls this year? Is the Trump administration's handling of the pandemic one of them? Yes. COVID is definitely a top issue for young Latinos, for all Latinos. As everybody probably knows, our community has been hit and has been hit very hard. Um, low, uh, the unemployment rates are much higher in our community. We also know four in 10 families have children that are going hungry. Uh, our community needs to be vocal this election because not only be, uh, how we've been affected by the pandemic, but also the recovery. What does that look like for our community? There's a lot of mis misinformation circulating on social media, but are Facebook or Instagram a good place to share voting information? We are encouraging everyone to share their personal story. So when they go out to vote, please share it in the way that you have done it. And of course, the only trusted information we I encourage our community to share is coming directly from the Board of Elections. We shouldn't be trusting any other information other than the Board of Elections and trusted organizations uh, to get your information for polling locations. That is the place where they will be updating minute by minute as the election develops. And if there's any changes, that's the place to get your information from. And social media, uh, only if it's coming from a reliable source. Well, thank you so much for your insight and your time, Jadira Sanchez of Poder Latinx. Meanwhile, in our nation's capital, Judge Amy Coney Barrett submitted written responses to questions from Senate Judiciary Committee members Tuesday night. The Supreme Court nominee declined to discuss topics like voting rights, coronavirus, abortion, and the Affordable Care Act. Her written responses largely mirrored her in-person answers during her confirmation hearing last week. Barrett used a language stating, quote, it would be inappropriate for me to opine further on this question nearly 40 times. She also declined to say whether she believes systematic racism does or does not exist, instead saying it's a public policy question of substantial controversy. The committee is scheduled to advance her nomination Thursday, and the Senate is expected to vote on it next Monday. And in other legal news, a federal judge in Manhattan today is hearing arguments on the Justice Department's motion to substitute the United States for President Trump as the defendant in a defamation suit. The Justice Department filed a reply, a reply brief Monday arguing that Trump's conduct occurred within the scope of his employment because federal elected officials have a responsibility to communicate regarding matters of concern or interest to their constituents. The lawsuit was filed by journalist E. Jean Carroll, who alleged in a 2019 book that Trump raped her in the 1990s in the dressing room of a New York department store. Trump denied the allegations, adding that Carroll had falsely accused other men of rape. He also says he has never met her. And now to the latest on the pandemic here in the U.S. The CDC is saying the annual expected death toll in the U.S. is now 300,000 more than usual due to COVID-19. This as cases and hospitalizations continue to steadily rise and experts warn cases can rapidly accelerate in the coming week. 
The U.S. on Tuesday reporting more than 60,000 cases of COVID-19, cases steadily rising for three consecutive days. For the past two weeks, the seven-day average has been higher than the 14-day moving average. Another clear indication cases are rising nationwide. For the first time in many areas, we're seeing over half the cases having no recognized risk exposure, meaning they didn't know somebody that was infected. So it shows you how prevalent or how common this virus transmission is in our communities. Right now, 31 states are reporting a rise in new cases over the past week. Hawaii, the only state seeing a decline. Illinois is among 42 states reporting a rise in hospitalizations, and at least 14 of those states are reporting peak hospitalization numbers in the last week. Nearly every region in the state has seen an increase in COVID-related hospitalizations over the last week. Experts predicting the worst of the pandemic is still ahead of us. Over the next five or six months, I think up through you know, February or March of next year, we are heading into the worst part of this pandemic for this country. In New York, the list of states with travel restrictions keeps growing. Arizona and Maryland, the latest to be added. And although they meet the criteria, the governor excluding New Jersey, Connecticut and Pennsylvania. You have people going back and forth for work. You have trucks coming in. Uh, that are bringing basic staples all day long. Uh, so it would be uh, highly problematic and it would be uh, really uh, devastating for the economy. Meanwhile, schools around the country closing and placing students in quarantine. In Miami-Dade, one of the biggest school districts in the country, 90 cases have already been reported. The mayor of Miami Beach expressing his frustration with Governor DeSantis. He opened up absolutely everything, reduced social distancing requirements, and didn't allow us to enforce mask mandates. In Houston, 16 schools had to close after only one day back in class. And in Boston, all schools will go back to remote learning starting tomorrow because the city's positivity rate has risen above 5%. Meanwhile, the CDC is also reporting patients hospitalized with COVID-19 are five times more likely to die than those hospitalized with the flu. And meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, still no deal on a coronavirus relief bill as millions of Americans continue struggling to make ends meet. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin do appear to be making progress. Edwin Pitti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what's the latest? Hi, Lorraine. After Pelosi's deadline wasn't met yesterday, the White House is saying that a deal could be reached in the next 48 hours or so. Those were the words of the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, who said during an interview this morning that the goal in the current talks with the Speaker of the House is to pass a relief package within the next two days. Take a listen. The negotiations have entered a new phase, which is more on the technical side of trying to get the language right if we can agree upon the numbers. We're still apart, still a number of issues to work on, uh, but the last 24 hours have, have moved the, the Treasury uh, the Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Nancy Pelosi are scheduled to speak again this afternoon. However, any agreement will still face a lot of skepticism in the Senate, where leader Mitch McConnell continues to warn the White House against agreeing with anything proposed by Pelosi. Many reports suggest that yesterday, during a closed-door launch, McConnell indicated that the deal was unlikely to get any vote in the chamber in his chamber before Election Day. And that is exactly what Democrats are pushing for. This is what leader Mitch McConnell said on the Senate floor. 
or nothing. That's been their position. Either Democrats get every unrelated policy they want or American families get nothing. So for months, they blocked bipartisan aid at every single turn. The Democratic leader even tried last night to adjourn the Senate so we can do nothing at all for three weeks. Nothing at all for three weeks. The Senate is expected to vote today again on the Republican $500 billion package, but it will be blocked by Democrats. And while McConnell continues to tell the White House that getting on the same boat with Democrats could backlash them with their constituents, Mark Meadows denied receiving those warnings in the White House, but he recognizes that some Republican senators oppose to another stimulus package. He plans to talk to them later in the evening. Meanwhile, Pelosi is saying that an agreement with the Trump administration needs to be done by the weekend to get a bill passed by the end of the week ahead of the election day. But on the other hand, in Congress, McConnell said that the Senate will take up a comprehensive coronavirus stimulus package at some point, only if Pelosi and Mnuchin are able to resolve the final areas of disagreement. But he didn't say whether he would support such deal or encourage GOP members to back it. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. You News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And a second wave of coronavirus infections has the population on high alert on the U.S.-Mexico border, with a large increase of cases in El Paso, Texas, and in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Doctors at hospitals on the Mexican side say they are on the verge of collapse, and authorities have reversed a plan, economic reopening. Gianni Aponte has more on the situation. It is sad to see so many people die, young people. Doctors and nurses at hospitals in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, report that the COVID-19 outbreak is out of control. No beds available, no more hospital space, no more ventilators available. They want to take down the door looking for help to see the line of ambulances that want to enter and can't enter because there is no space. The morgue already had to be expanded and the bodies even stay in the rooms because there is no space. These nurses are afraid to show their face for fear of reprisals, but a doctor says that this weekend the hospital where he works collapsed. There were people waiting for more than four hours, and these are people who were very sick, some who even died in the ambulances, who died in cars. Even the city's mayor got reinfected with the virus. This time, the cold symptoms started. I took the test, and they gave me a positive result yesterday. The color code system used to signal stages for reopening the economy went back from yellow to orange. The casinos were already shut down. The gyms are also shut down. Ciudad Juarez's authorities believe that this dangerous second wave is coming from El Paso, Texas, considered the current regional epicenter of the pandemic, where positive cases have increased by 500 percent in the last two weeks. So the Ciudad Juarez mayor is asking the Mexican government to prevent the entry of U.S. citizens and legal residents. 
It is not that they are not welcome. Of course, we have an entire life of coexistence between the United States and Mexico, particularly between El Paso and Juarez. But at this moment, if they restrict our crossing for health reasons, it should be the same from here to there. Reported by Mario Eugenia Payan, this is Gianni Ponte for U News. And despite the worsening pandemic here in the United States, it does seem that air travel is on the rise again. Blanca Rosa Vilches has more on the story from New York City. Corlin Hill is one of six million people who has traveled by plane in the last week. Where have you been? Las Vegas, Texas, and then now New York. I'm from Chicago. According to officials from the U.S. Department of Transportation, just this past Sunday, more than one million people traveled by plane. Altogether, six million people in the last seven days is the highest number since the beginning of the pandemic. I keep myself protected. I have my hand sanitized and I keep my mask on. At the airport, local authorities encourage people to get tested. I'm actually an essential worker, so I get tested once a week once a week, every Thursday. Even though this is great news, we have to remember that air travel is still down 60% compared to last year. At La Guardia Airport, New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.